Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Anybody that you know of who is regularly engaged in proclaiming God's Word, pray for them. And anyone else you know that we might boldly speak forth God's Word to people, because that's the great need of the hour, that people hear the gospel. That's what's going to make a difference. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, in a message titled, Clarity, Courage, and the Gospel. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Paul was probably thinking about what Jesus had said when he's asking for the prayer, praying that God would give. So as you pray for us, pray these things. Pray that God would give us words, clarity, the ability to, in the right way, to bring the gospel to people in a clear, in a, in a straightforward way. And that we would have the boldness to step up and take advantage of the opportunities. But you know, today, we, we really do, as I think about this, we, we need both of these things. We need the boldness, but we really need a lot of wisdom on how to, how to frame what we're gonna say these days. Now, there are all, all kinds of sort of minefields out there. You're, you're walking through a minefield whenever you get up and speak. And especially if you're doing it outside of a, context like we're doing it today. You know, here today, there's a lot of grace, and I can pretty much, you know, say anything, and most of you are going to say, yeah, okay, that's fine. You know, some of you might disagree a little bit, give a little bit of pushback here or there, but, but it's a different story when we go out in public, isn't it? And there you have to have a ton of wisdom, and you have to really be given by God the ability to, to frame the message in such a way as to not you know, push people away before they can actually get a chance to hear it. This is sometimes what happens. So Paul says, pray for us that we would have clarity and courage and that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul preached the gospel and we need to Think about this for a moment. We all assume that this is what we do. We preach the gospel. And yet, we can think we're preaching the gospel sometimes, and we're really not. The gospel has been, even in churches and from pulpits, the gospel has been confused with other things. But let let me just state what Paul preached as the gospel. Paul preached the gospel that said in essence, this is the essence of the gospel, we are more sinful than we could ever imagine, but more loved than we could ever dream. It's kind of a paraphrase of a Tim Keller statement, but that's the gospel. We're more sinful than we could ever imagine, but we're more loved than we could ever dream. And this love, has provided atonement for sin 
and deliverance from his power. You see, Paul preached a gospel that called people to come just as they are to Christ who would receive them, forgive them, and cleanse them. That's our gospel. Our gospel is a call for people to come to Jesus. That's what the gospel is. To come to Jesus who came into this world for the express purpose of taking our sin upon him and dying in our place on the cross and rising from the dead and being alive now, again, forever alive and and ready to, to come into our lives and to meet us and to transform us. That is the gospel. But listen, we have to be careful that we don't substitute other things for the gospel. And this happens, and it has happened, and it still happens, and we've got to be on our guard that we do not substitute moralism for the gospel. You see, a lot of what is being presented as the gospel today is really, it's moralism. It's not really gospel. Moralism is essentially, okay, you, here, here's the things you've got to do, and then that'll make God happy. That's moralism. The gospel is all about everything God's done. And then we just respond to that. But you see, when we focus too much on particular sins, we have drifted from the gospel to moralism. Now listen to what I mean by this. Think about this with me. When we say things like this, and we've all said it, I've said it, I've said these things. But when we say these things, we need to be aware of what we're actually doing. When we say things like this, hey, you shouldn't use that kind of language. You know, maybe you're at work, maybe you're in an office or something, somebody's got a, a foul mouth, and, and there you are, and as a Christian, you're just, you're offended by, by the way they're talking, and you say to them, hey, you know, you shouldn't talk like that. Or maybe, you know, you, you, somebody, maybe somebody's having a drink, you say, hey, you know, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol. Or you shouldn't be having sex with your girlfriend or with your boyfriend. Uh, or maybe it, it's, uh, you know, you shouldn't be in that same sex relationship or, or whatever we might say like that. Listen, whether we intend to or not, this is important, whether we intend to or not, We are suggesting that if a person changes their behavior, then they will be accepted by God. This is religious moralism. It is not the gospel. And and somehow that's gotten blurred, I think, in our culture. And I, I think it partially was blurred because for so long, we had a, a sort of a Christian moral consensus across the culture. And people understood, oh, you don't live together if you're not married. You don't sleep together if you're not married. That's called living in sin. Just the general population understood that terminology. People might have used foul language, but they generally tried to, you know, use it in places where it wouldn't be so offensive. Because in the culture, there was this Christian consensus that, that had developed. And so even as Christians ourselves, we, we sort of bought into that as, as kind of, 
in some ways, that sort of being the gospel. But again, remember, when you say that to somebody, you're giving the impression, now, if, if you just stop doing that, then things would be okay. But that's, that's not what the gospel says. You see, the gospel says whether you're outwardly wicked, like the things we just mentioned, or outwardly seemingly righteous, you are a sinner, nevertheless. And the only thing that you can do to remedy your problem is to come to Christ. And you see, here's what I'm afraid has happened, and this is why we need to understand this, because it, it is a new day. It is a different time than it has been. What, what has happened is because we've confused the gospel and moralism, and we've tended to sometimes preach more of a moralism, we have put up sort of a, a barrier that's preventing people from seeing Christ. It's like we, we've blurred Jesus behind the barrier of moralism. You see, when you come to somebody today and you say, hey, you know, you shouldn't talk like that. Hey, you know, you shouldn't be living like that. You know, you automatically put up a barrier. Do you think they want to listen to you from that point on? No, they think you're just a judgmental hypocrite. They don't want to hear what you have to say. They never get a chance to hear about Jesus because we're hitting them with this moralism. We've got to get Jesus out in the front. And guess what? When Jesus gets a hold of people's lives, he changes their morality. That's his job. That's not our job. You could get a person to stop smoking, to stop drinking, to stop cussing, to stop fornicating, to stop being in a uh, same-sex relationship. You could get them to do all of that and still they die and go to hell because those aren't the things. Those aren't the issues. You know, if you stop and think about it, I was thinking about this the other day. It's pretty, it's pretty radical thought. It's completely biblical and totally the case. But I think, again, sometimes we've been so influenced by some of these other things. But if you think about it, you know, none of those things that I just mentioned are the things that send people to hell. Did you realize that? People don't go to hell because of those things. People go to hell because they reject God's solution. They go to hell because they don't receive the Savior. This is condemnation, Jesus said, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. He was the light. This is the, the, the condemnation is rejecting Christ. And so we do a, a massive disservice to people and to the cause of the kingdom if we get these moralistic ideas out in the front and Jesus is obscured by that in the back. He's never even seen because once they hear about this morality, they're, they're already turned off. They're already not interested. We have got to get Jesus out in the front. The gospel that Paul preached was about Jesus. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we need boldness to preach. We need to preach Jesus and that people need to come to Jesus. And as somebody says, well, wait a minute. Now you're, you're leaving out repentance. What about repentance? Well, look, here, do you repent before you come to Jesus or after? Well, he, the reality is this. If you repented before you came to Jesus, then you're right back in that, that works thing. I used to think that way. Before I got saved, that was what I was trying to do. I was trying to get myself 
cleaned up enough so I could come to God and feel like it would be okay to come to him. And then whatever else needed to happen, he could take care of that. But that, the Bible doesn't teach that, does it? You see, repentance is, the turning to Christ is the repentance. That's what it is to repent, it's to turn. The, the word repent means to have a change of thinking, and that's what happens. You suddenly have a change of thinking. You thought one thing or you didn't think anything about Jesus. Suddenly, you've had a change in your thinking process about Jesus. You're gonna come to him. And when you come to him, you're going to find that he is going to change you. He's gonna give you a whole new moral outlook. He's gonna give you a whole new moral standard, but he's gonna come and take up residence in you and that's how that's all gonna happen. That's the gospel. And that's what we must preach. And that's what we need boldness to preach. And God help us in these days, especially to get that message out there. Don't focus on particular sins. That's an obstacle. One of the great preachers of the 20th century, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, preached in... Westminster Chapel in London for many, many years. And he, the kind of a hero to many guys like myself and Pastor Chuck actually met him and spent time with him. And, uh, but but one, you know, one of the great, in the tradition of great preachers, he was a great preacher. And in his lectures on preaching, one of the things he said he never did, and uh, I've read tons of his books and listened to his sermons, and, and it's true. He said he never he never pointed out specific sins. He said, because the issue is not the specific sin. The specific sin is a symptom of the bigger issue of sin itself. And once you deal with sin itself, that's in the heart. And that, that natural internal rebellion that we have against God, once you deal with that, then everything else will ultimately be taken care of. So he refused to preach against specific sins and just preached on the issue of sin. And I think that he had a lot of wisdom in doing that. And that's the kind of wisdom that we need for today. Because you go out on a crusade and preach against specific sins in the culture. And you know the, the, the fact of the matter is, it's just nobody's listening to you. And we, we, people have to hear. So let's not... Let's not obscure Christ behind a moralistic message. Let's remember Jesus is the message. He is the gospel, what he did. And our objective is to present him to people that they might come to him just as they are and knowing that he will then do the work in them that needs to be done. And so Paul prayed for that boldness to open his mouth and make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. We pointed this out early on, but Paul was in prison when he wrote this and several other epistles. It's interesting that he didn't write this from his pastoral office, but he wrote it from prison. He was an ambassador ambassador for Christ. He was a representative of Christ. He was in chains. He says, pray for me that I might have boldness. Paul was chained constantly to Roman soldiers. He would have needed boldness to share the gospel with them. He was in and out of uh, 
the courts, before the judges, before the kings. Pray for me that I would have boldness. As we follow him through Acts, we see that he had boldness. Every single king he stood before, whether it was Festus or whether it was Felix or Agrippa or prior to them, the the Jewish council. And then even later when he stood before Nero, we know that he did what he asked for prayer to do. He boldly spoke to them about Christ. He was an ambassador in chains. Once again, John Stott said something on this I thought was good. He said the term chain, he's quoting from a different person here, but he says the term chain signifies, among other things, the golden adornments worn around the neck and wrist by rich ladies or high-ranking men. On festive occasions, ambassadors wore such chains in order to reveal the riches, power, and dignity of the government they represented. So it's, it's almost like a play on, on this kind of a thing that Paul is referring to. And so he says, because Paul serves Christ crucified, he considers the painful iron prison chains as a most appropriate insignia for the representation of his Lord. Those ambassadors coming to those great festive events with all of their chains. Paul says, I'm an ambassador and these are my chains, iron chains. But the thing that's amazing, and Stott says it here, he said, Paul most, however, is not, or what concerns Paul most, however, is not that his wrist may be unchained, but that his mouth may be open in testimony, not that he may be set free, but that the gospel may spread freely and without hindrance. It is for this then that he prays and asks for prayer also. And then Stott says this, against such prayer, the principalities and powers are helpless. The principalities and powers are helpless against such prayers. We need to pray that God's word will go out. And anybody that you know of who is regularly engaged in proclaiming God's word, pray for them. As I've said already, pray for us. And anyone else you know, put them there that we might boldly speak forth God's word to people because that's the great need of the hour, that people hear the gospel. That's what's gonna make a difference. That's what's going to make a transformation. As we watch our, our country just kind of um, unraveling in so many ways before our eyes, and we wonder, well, you know, how, how can this ever be fixed? What is the solution? The gospel is really the solution. Because the gospel deals with the heart, and it's the hearts of people that need to change. We hear story after story of people who were resistant and rebellious and who had a particular mindset and supported a particular sinful activity, behavior, whatever. And, you know, all of the argumentation in the world and all the pushback on them, you know, it didn't do anything except further entrench them. And then they tell the story of how they met Christ. And how Jesus just changed their heart. 
And they went from being an, an advocate of one type of a thing to fully embracing God's understanding of, the, of this particular thing and then becoming a champion of that issue maybe. You see, that's what we need today. We need a change in people's hearts. And that's gonna happen through the gospel being proclaimed. That simple, straightforward message about Jesus, the savior of the world who lived and died and rose again and is alive right now and is ready to meet people right where they're at, right in their sin, and he's ready to take them and transform them. That's what we've got to focus on. So God help us to do that because as Stott said here, against such the principalities and powers are helpless. It's so true. This is how you wreck the devil's day. This is how you ruin his program. See people get saved. So God help us to do that. And just as we close finally, let's look at um, verses 23 and 24. Paul says there finally, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So peace, God's peace, love with faith. And I think faithfulness is the idea here. God is faithful. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are faithful. And then verse 24, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And this last point is this. Sincerity, loving Christ in sincerity is really the issue here. The gospel is so radical. It's so personal. It's so intimate. It, it brings you into a love relationship, a sincere love relationship with the Lord that becomes the, the driving force of everything that you are and everything that you do. And if we have a Christianity that's anything less than that, we don't have a real Christianity. Many people have mistaken Christianity for church membership. They would say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I belong to such and such a church. If that's the extent of your Christianity, you've completely missed what Christianity really is. But you could even take it a step further. Maybe you just don't attend church. Maybe you're engaged. Maybe you're involved in all kinds of activities and causes and things like that. And you know what? Again, those things can become a substitute for the real thing. Don't mistake that for the real thing. The real thing is a sincere love relationship with Jesus Christ that so radically alters who you are that it becomes, as I said, it becomes the, the basis, the motivation of everything that you now do. The way you think, the way you conduct yourself, the way you plan, the way you work, everything now is, is um, determined ultimately because the top of the list is Jesus and your personal, sincere, loving relationship with him. And if today you don't have that, then you don't have real Christianity because that's what it is. It's a sincere, loving relationship with Christ. And Paul says, grace be with those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. 
For the month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Out of the Black Shadows by Stephen Longu with Ann Coombs. Abused, abandoned, empty, and angry. This is a story of many youth in our culture today. And it's also the beginning of the story of the life of Stephen Lungu, a young African man turned terrorist during a time of political and social unrest in Africa. In his book, Out of the Black Shadows, Stephen Lungu shares his testimony of being abused by his father, abandoned by his mother, rejected by family, to ultimately finding inner healing, peace, reconciliation, and true purpose through Jesus. If you want to be inspired by the transformation and healing God can produce in a life, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, Out of the Black Shadows by Stephen Lungu with Ann Coombs, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we begin a new series in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.